Hi, and welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I am Patrick Ryan Donnelly Mayhorn, uh, and I am here to uh, host this episode. I'm my friend, uh, my my protege, really, Mark Givler. Uh, Mark, thanks for coming to the episode. How you doing, man? Good. How you doing? I am good. I am good. Uh, looking forward to this. Kind of having a we're having a little kind of unusual couple weeks here, flipping the field. Kind of vacation section of the year for us. Uh, I'm hosting for Patrick this week. I'll be off next week. Patrick's hosting for me. So we figure bring on an old friend of the show uh, to come hang out. Uh, Mark, I, I was kind of looking forward this week. Obviously, you are our you know resident recruiting expert uh, as much as we have one around here. Uh, we are looking forward to kind of into some recruiting talk, talking quarterbacks this year, um, talking some conference expansion stuff, maybe just kind of some general national recruiting too. Uh, I know you had a big report publishing today on Air Noland, uh, if not the best name in college football, one of the best players for sure. Sorry, and. Cultural recruiting, one of the best names for sure. Um, I kind of want to take your stock, man. You know, before we get into him specifically or any of the individual quarterbacks, this quarterback recruiting crop, um, any favorites for you, any kind of comparisons to previous classes in terms of class strength, just kind of any general thoughts on the national quarterback scene in 2024? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting class. I think there's a lot of talented guys. I think. You know, and I guess this is the case most years, but I think in this year um, specifically, there are some guys at the very, very top who are incredibly high ceiling guys, but there are some kind of questions there. And then you got some guys kind of down in the net, that second tier that I think are maybe a little more polished, but maybe not quite the upside. So it's, it's, it's an interesting class, I think, for like the national guys to rank because of that. You know, how do you weigh Dylan Rayola's physical traits to Jaden Davis's production and kind of, um, you know, balance these things out? So there's a lot of uh, intrigue to me. I think it's one of those years where I, I actually think it's very strong top to bottom. And... You know, there will be some guys who probably don't pan out because I do think there are some boom bust factor with a few of these guys. But I, but I think there are so many talented guys that it's almost a certainty that, you know, in three or four years, we're going to look back at this as a, as a pretty good quarterback class. Um, you know, I personally, I don't I, I'm still kind of weeding my way through it in terms of picking a favorite. I know one guy who. um has always really impressed me is CJ Carr, um, who's currently committed to Notre Dame, but I believe visiting Texas A&M here. Um, yeah, I just saw that report as well. That's, <laughs> I was, <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, you know, a guy like Julian Sands, another guy. I, I just watched Aaron Noland, um, who's who's very impressive as well. And then, of course, Dylan Rayola has, um, you know, kind of an, really a, a rare uh, arm. Um, so he's you know, obviously very highly ranked as he should be. So it, it's an interesting group. There's just so many guys, though, to weed through. I'm, I'm actually glad I don't have to, like, rank them 1 to 10 because I think you can really look back and see that maybe the top 8 to 10 were kind of all over the place just because, again, you're weighing some of these guys are maybe aren't, you know, the, the prototype versus guys who are the prototype but are, are you know, decidedly less productive high school players so it's going to be it's going to be an interesting group i think um and one that probably i think everyone's gonna be happy to get one more year out of here as far as evaluations yeah for sure and i think something else that's going to be i think just you know interesting to watch you hit on a few names there obviously rayola and jane davis a few of these national names uh cj card fits to a&m you hit on it, it seems maybe i'm off base like of all the you know top 30 or so kids in the country here it seems like no one that's committed is actually firm this commitment at this point, like even more so than usual, right? Like, you know, Julian Say and an Alabama commitment, right? Had their, their, their offensive coordinator change out. Um, and of course the persistent Saban uh, retirement rumor, CJ cars taking visits, DJ Lagway at, at Florida, you know, obviously Billy neighbor's reputation is not very sterling right now. Uh, you know, uh, Ryan Pugilisi at, uh, at Georgia lost his OC. A lot of these names you're seeing, even the ones who are committed early, there doesn't seem to be any kind of firm sense that anyone's actually uh, taken a share in the big game, right? It seems like everything is still kind of rotating around a little bit. Is that your sense too? That's a little more wide open in previous years, just based off some of these coordinator changes. Does it feel any different to you in that respect? 
what's kind of your sense of of who's actually committed and going to where they say they are? Yeah, there definitely feels like there's like a, a game of musical chairs playing right now. I, you know, yeah, I mean, I would have thought CJ Carr was solid, <laughs> but <Sure. laughs> obviously, you know, even, you know, Tommy Reese leaving, I guess, has maybe opened the door there. And, um, you know, we've seen what happened with Dylan Rayola and, and um, the other interesting part here is Georgia and Alabama they they have guys, but they're still recruiting guys. So it's it's very that's very interesting. Um, yeah, with new coaches that, doing it no less as well, right? With both their quarterback coaches and OCs leaving. Right. So it's like you know how's that going to play out? Because you know are are they trying to upgrade their situations or are they just you know I know Alabama's kind of thin a quarterback, which kind of sounds ridiculous to say, but but it's it's true at this point. I, um, I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know you probably have a lot of go on your own stuff, but. We have been uh, big fans here pointing out that the product in Alabama is like just degrading little by little every year, which which sounds crazy to say they won a national title, you know, what, three seasons ago and are still Alabama. But like there's some small things starting to crumble there, right? Like the receiver development is not what it was. The running back development post Najee is not looking like it's anything special, right? The quarterbacks behind Bryce, who knows what's going on there, right? No like slam dunk guys in the pipeline. There's a lot of little things in that Bama offense, especially they're just kind of starting to uh, starting to kind of slip year by year. And, and of course, I mean the the Pete Golding monkeys finally off their back on on defense, but obviously that defense has not been saving standards much either lately. It, like I think you know maybe maybe this sounds I'm, I'm counting out the Undertaker here, but <laughs> I feel like Saban has come back to the pack in a way that we have not seen from him. I don't know since the mid two thousands, <laughs> like in a, in a long, long time. Yeah. I think, I think there's something to that. I, it, it's weird. I mean, they just signed an unbelievable class. So, you know, we'll kind of see if, if they, you know, slingshot back up to the top again, but um, Georgia's definitely like cutting into them right now. And now that they've actually, you know, been able to to go on and have the success they've had the last couple of years, they got over the hump. I mean, I could see that getting only more difficult for Alabama to, to kind of maintain what they've done. Um, I don't know if I'm as down on them long-term as you, I'm not saying you're super down, but I'm just, I, I, I'm a little more open-minded yeah. as far as like, okay, maybe they're just going to bounce right back this year. But the one thing I have been saying uh, was saying all fall was I thought last season was Nick Saban's worst coaching job. In a long, certainly as long as I can like, remember. <laughs> certainly at Alabama. Yeah. Um, you know, you returned the Heisman Trophy winner quarterback. You returned a generational talent at defensive end. You have all these other NFL guys. You know, we've got the, got the combine testing on right now, and every other player seems to be an Alabama guy that, that we interview. They had all these NFL players, and – from a depth perspective, depth of talent perspective, and then you had the star power they had, and you're not even a playoff team. You're not only not even a play. It wasn't one of those where they like oh they they really had much of an argument. I mean they were they were quite clearly not a playoff team. It was very 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 2015 Ohio State esque. Yeah, yeah, and I think that comes down, in my opinion, to the coordinator hires. Like, I, I think when you, you know, you have a guy like Pete Golding, you let him hang around after he's proven for how long that he wasn't effective. You, you know, essentially you punted on a year of talent, right? Like you had all that talent in the, in, in the program. And, and sure, there were other problems that team. Like, I think they were, like you said, a lot of talent coming back. They still couldn't figure out anyone at receiver, basically, um, just which was a huge problem. Their passing game was too much of Bryce Young making things happen. But, but you know, having Bill O'Brien as a pretty unoriginal coordinator, uh, you know, having that that defensive coordination be what it is with Pete Golding, like I think they just punted on a year of contention with with you know with Bryce Young, and it's crazy to see it happen. Like Saban would just used to be so ruthless in cutting those, you know, those what do you call it, weak parts of the team, and it just seems like maybe he's he's gotten too soft on the coaching hires. I, I don't want to call him Nick Saban soft. That's not what I'm saying, but he made a poor choice on keeping Golding around. I think is my is my diagnosis. Yeah, something something was off there, and you know, even with you know, even with the receivers, though, I mean, they go to the portal and they try and they try and fix it, and they didn't. Um, it just uh, it, it was a and it, they just didn't look 
even, I mean, they could have lost four or five games this year. I mean, they did Easy. not look good uh, really at all until the very, very end there against, you know, the, the last two and a half quarters, basically against Kansas state. Um, they just didn't look and you know, the, the thing they haven't blown a lot of opportunities in Tuscaloosa over the years, but it, you're right. It felt like a blown opportunity this year because, you know, the rest of the country is going to not love this, but you know, Georgia was almost a year ahead of schedule this year. Like they, yeah. they, they were pretty young with all they, you know, all they replaced. They, and, and you know, I don't know that, you know, it's going to be, obviously it's going to be incredibly hard for them to try and three Pete, but I would I would almost argue that on paper they might even be they might be better this year. Uh, I, I thought like Alabama had the ex, had equal talent and, and more experience um, than Georgia this past season going into the year and just uh, yeah it just they were they just never got into a, a groove. Yeah, I mean if you're if you're looking around at uh, at the rest of the country, you know not not to get too far here in any of my kind of critiques of <laughs> of certain programs, but. But I mean, really, unless you 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 are much higher on Alabama's offseason hires than I am, I don't know how you could think anyone besides Georgia looks like the favorite going to next year, right? Like Kevin Steele and Tommy Rees aren't exactly home run hires for Saban. Like that is a pretty underwhelming response to what they went through the last you know year. Uh, and then you have like Ohio State essentially didn't change anything about the coaching staff and loses CJ Stroud. Like the team is basically the same except they're replacing C.J. Stroud and arguably their best defender in Zach Harrison. Uh, if you think they're going to get better, that's certainly with, you know, kind of some guys stepping up. I certainly think someone could think, but I don't think they're clearly stepping ahead of Georgia. Georgia doesn't lose much besides Stetson and, and Carter, which, again, kind of same situation as Ohio State. Um, it, it's, I mean, besides that, I don't even know who you're looking at. LSU is not a very serious team to me. I think Clemson is cooked. Um I don't even know who you'd look at unless you're betting on Sark and, and Texas taking a step, which I would caution anyone against. Uh, Lincoln Riley is a known quantity. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's Georgia's title to lose for the third year in a row, which is crazy to say. Someone's going to have to win it. Um, but, I mean, Georgia certainly has the inside track, if you're asking me, even with Munkin gone. Um, it's not, I don't think Tom Munkin was – I think he had a pretty good run there at the end, but I don't think he's a transcendent coordinator that's impossible to replace. I don't know. I'm curious to see. Maybe Bobo just tanks the whole project for Georgia. <laughs> Maybe that's the uh, that's the antidote for everyone else. But I'm curious to see what what comes of that. Yeah, it it. You know, we were talking about this recently on on another podcast. And I, I said I said my only real honest argument I can make against Georgia winning the championship next year is that teams just don't. You, there's you you can't three p. You just can't. Uh, in, in an era where you've got no to go through done. a couple of top five teams to, to win it at the end, you just can't repeat. That's that's my only logical argument against Georgia right now. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, that, that's the only thing you have against them. It's it's just that. And and again, I, I do think like it's not that like losing Todd Munkin's a big deal. It's that hiring Mike Bobo as your OC <laughs> is not really the response yeah. you want to see from from that program. It, like. It's very hard to be critical of Kirby and kind of go back to their critiques of him from a couple of years ago. But if you wanted to look at him ungenerously, you could kind of say that he didn't really understand what was wrong with his offense before and kind of lucked into Munkin and that he's just trying to go back to doing the same thing with Bobo, which if that happens, yeah, I think George is very vulnerable again, but that's who knows, right? We're just kind of speculating here. Anyway, that's I kind of got away from my, my wheelhouse I was looking at. I'm curious to see what comes of that. I'm very much looking forward to the season because we have a long way to go until we're there. Um, to get back to these quarterbacks a little bit here, Mark, I, I think we touched on a few of them here. You mentioned kind of some of the measurables of a guy like Jaden Davis, some of the arm talent of Dylan Rayola. Do you have anyone, I, I know I'm not going to ask you to rank them one through 10, as you noted, but anyone you're maybe higher on the field or a guy you think is a bit underranked right now compared to what your perception of him is? Well, you know, I, again, I don't know if underranked is necessarily appropriate, but the guy I mentioned at the very beginning, I have always been a big fan of CJ Carr. Um, he's, he's very, mo I don't think people realize that how mobile he is. Um, and he's a beautiful passer. <laughs> I mean, just great accuracy. Um, smart kid. Now you look and he's ranked, you know, I think, I don't know if he's a unanimous top 50, but he's pretty high up there. I think uh, right around between like 25 and 50. I, I would have him a five-star kid. 
Um, I would, I would put my chips in on CJ Carr before Jaden Davis, probably. I might even consider putting my chips in on CJ Carr before Dylan Rayola. I know that's kind of sacrilegious right now, but um, he's kind of the guy to me that has always just really jumped out to me. Um, so that's probably one guy I'm, I'm more bullish on than every, not everyone, than, than maybe some of the national rankings people are. Um, you know, Aaron Nolan was pretty good. I just watched him. Uh, I, I don't know. I know he's been moving up the rankings, so he, he's probably – He's probably out of underrated territory at this at this point uh, with, with some of the moves he's been making recently. Uh, he's a very talented guy. Are we worried that, that having a lefty named Aaron Nolan just a little bit too powerful for college football? Is that is that? Yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. everyone was it ever you know everyone was asking me about you know, break down his you know break down his game from the camp, and I'm like, I can't really talk about mechanics because I've never seen a lefty throw a football and thought, oh, that looks good. <laughs> it always looks weird. <laughs> Watching a lefty throw a football is just weird to me. So I, I just skipped right past like the throwing motion and mechanics. I'm just like, yeah, but everything else was great. Other than he's lefty. Yeah, I mean, I guess even just history of lefty quarterbacks. You have what, like Vic and Steve Young and like Ken Stabler. <laughs> you go back a million years. I, I don't even. I, I mean, like the history of guys. Who recently is like? Oh, sure. Yeah. Fair. That's, um, that's about, but that's about it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, maybe I've missed someone too. I, it, oh, it, um, was it Liner the lefty? Yes. Okay. Yes, he was. Fair enough. Okay. Well, lefty I mean, statue. It's, you had, you know, go, I'll really show my age. Go back and go, um, like Scott Mitchell. Uh, I don't even know the name, man. Sorry to make you feel <laughs> old. <laughs> oh, man. He was, uh, he was like, I don't want to say Ryan Fitzpatrick before Ryan Fitzpatrick, but he was uh, he was a guy that just kept kept hanging around, and he'd throw him out there, and it just would never it would never happen for him for whatever reason. I uh, I googled him, and one of the first results I'm looking at is a picture of him looking absolutely terrified with Warren Sapp breathing down his neck. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a big statue. He was a big statue, and uh, just kept getting opportunities though for a while there, and just never. Uh, Never did much, but yes. I, obviously, it's it's better that the NFL is more efficient now. But I, I do think the era of just seeing like the same like journeyman quarterbacks trotted out on twelve different teams, or the same coaches getting uh, getting rehired constantly, it is a bit of a. It's certainly the end of an era because I think we're we're pretty much fully past that, right? Even a few journeyman quarterbacks, you know, who pop in as backups, like uh, Tyrod Taylor might be the last great one. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Uh, a lot of these guys are, are kind of disappearing from uh, from football. It's kind of sad. Yeah, their their um, teams are getting less and less uh, patient, and not necessarily a bad way. Um, but yeah, we're in the era of draft a guy. If it doesn't work by year two, draft another guy. <laughs> sure, it's, sure. It's, we're not we're not recycling the quarterbacks the way they used to. They're, they're, As seen by the Justin Fields well, rumors, right? I mean, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so to pull about Aaron Nolan really quick here, you know. We're not explicitly an Ohio State podcast. In fact, we try right. not to be, but we can't help ourselves. Uh, at least I can't. Patrick hates it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Patrick hates I everything. Mean, it feels like it's true. It's true. <laughs> except for except for uh, except for uh, mid major. That's right. That's right. He's a Utah. He's a Utah State fan. He's he's you know pushing for you know uh, Lance Leifold in Kansas. Uh, I won't pretend I'm not part of that game too. But we love it. But uh, no man, uh, Aaron Nolan. Uh, well, I guess, I guess broadly, you know, kind of you mentioned your thoughts on Nolan as, as a bit of a player there, but but kind of your read on the recruitment on Ohio State's quarterback situation. If you had to handicap this thing, obviously the Jaden Davis rumors are pretty persistent. Um, any kind of thoughts on on just where Ohio State's quarterback situation is ending up and kind of what they're waiting on in terms of pulling the trigger on Nolan? Yeah, I mean, for yeah, I think right now as we sit here today, the Nolan is the betting favorite to be their guy. Um I'm trying to figure out the lack of an offer myself because I think he's actually going to get offered on the visit, and, and I'm not sure why that needed to wait. Um, they saw him throw in January, and they didn't offer. So what is changing between the middle of January and the end of March other than he's going to visit? And he's switching hands, man. He's switching hands. Yes. and it, Right. And, and if if... 
it was a matter of just getting him to visit. Well, that, that could have been handled easily in January. That could have been like, we're offering you because you're talented enough to play football at Ohio State, but under no circumstances are we taking our uh, a quarterback commit uh, without visiting. So you got to get up here if you want to commit. I mean, I think they, that could have been done. So I'm, I'm kind of perplexed by what's happening here, um, other than maybe they thought in January that maybe Julian Sayan might Maybe they wanted to kind of monitor that situation a little bit more, but it's it's definitely trending like it's like no one's going to end up being the guy they they really uh, push for that they that they have a shot at. I don't think Jaden Davis is going to happen. Um, and do you just, get the sense that Davis is ahead of Nolan in the pecking order for Iowa State? Like if they had their druthers and could get one, you know, can make one commit tomorrow, would they take Davis over over Nolan in your opinion? I th- I think initially that was that was definitely the deal, um, but it's, it's kind of hard to play the hypothetical because I just don't think there's been enough there to to have it, to have like an indication that Jaden Davis is is seriously considering Ohio State at this point. So in a vacuum, like yeah, maybe I think if Jaden Davis probably would would call today and be like, hey, I've I've had a change of heart. I'm over what happens you know what, last year. And, and you know, I want to be a Buckeye. Would they would they go and take that? I, I think they would. Um, but there's just it's just kind of like a it's one of those hypotheticals where it's like it's not really realistic because there hasn't been an indication given that 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 that's something that can really happen at this point. Sure, sure. You you did hit on with something I want to bring up though, which is you mentioned what happened last year, referring to uh, referring to Dylan Rayola's commitment essentially to Ohio State and subsequent decommitment <laughs> in the blink of an eye. Uh, have you heard my theory on quarterback recruiting in the timeline here? Have I, have I shared this with you? I don't think so. Okay. I ran the numbers this year because I was very curious uh, on basically tracking how programs like Ohio State, essentially what I'm referring to here is Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, and also the the uh, Dabo era at, at or sorry, the Lincoln Riley era at Oklahoma, right? I looked at 43 recruiting classes from those those five programs. It kind of weighed out essentially how they're doing uh, on the front of when they take a quarterback early versus late, you know, early being more than a year out. The numbers were, were pretty shocking, man, just in terms of like what worked and what didn't. Uh, so so anytime a, a, in one of these programs, and, and to clarify, the years I'm using here are the entire uh, Saban run in Alabama from 2014 on, it's the last 10 recruiting classes, right? It's the combined um, Meyer and Day era at Ohio State, likewise, the last 10, last 10 at Clemson. Then the Kirby Smart era at Georgia, which is the 2017 through 23 classes, and the Lincoln Riley era at Oklahoma, which is 2016 through 2021. Uh, so whenever they, they took a commitment further than a year out, there was 18 of them in total, uh, the hit rate was 16.7%. Uh, basically, the only guys that worked out, you have Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. There's also a Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. If you want to call that a hit, I, I did. I understand if you would call that a miss as well for Oklahoma. Uh, those are the only hits from every single player that's ever committed to one of these programs uh, more than a year out in that window. So, I mean, you have your your Danny Clarks, your Dylan Rayolas, your, uh, you know, your Ricky Towns, <laughs> your Jack Millers, your Quinn Ewers. Uh, Cameron Rising, Brock Vandegrift, all these guys that basically haven't really done anything yet for certain some of these programs. It's a much more likely, it's twice as likely, in fact, for a kid to decommit from a program if he commits more than a year out than he is to ever start a game. Uh, which is why I can't figure out why they keep taking commitments so early. Like, what is the rationale if you're Ohio State, if you're Georgia or Alabama, to keep doing this so early in the process? To Lock to keep in essentially in. taking commitments very early on from quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a conundrum because there can be only one, you know, and it just, it's one of those things where they're, they're in such a hurry to get their class leader and lock in their guy and, and, and get that, you know, incredibly important position locked down that, that, yeah, you, you forfeit some evaluation time by doing that. And it, it is a conundrum. I just think, again, if you don't take these guys early, then, you know, if you're Ohio State or you're Alabama and you don't take the guy, well, then maybe Georgia takes him and now you can't get him. Or now, you know, 
you, you feel like you, maybe you've lost your guy, it, it's going to take a real philosophical shift from like everyone simultaneously, I think, to change this. Yeah, there's a bit of brinksmanship, right? Yeah, it, it is a bit of like, if we do this first and you don't, then what happens, right? You know, that, yeah. that's that's fair, yeah. It's like the fear of the unknown. It's like, oh, well, if we don't take him and Alabama takes him, then what are we going to do? You know, and just, um, you know, we've talked about that a lot just in the Ohio State market, and it's kind of interesting you ran, you know, the data on, on some of these other teams, and it sounds like, you know, it is, it's not just, because we've had these conversations, like, is this just an Ohio State thing? Like, Every time they wait, every time they get a guy late, it works. And every time they get a guy early, it, it doesn't. Um, so it, it sounds like they're not the only program having that issue. Um, yeah, it's just uh, at the end of the day, I think it's just coaches kind of can't help themselves. And they see five-star quarterback and they it, it's it's kind of a, an impulsive type of thing. And um yeah, until there, it's almost like uh, until like some pact is made. We're like, okay, guys, we're all not going to take our quarterbacks until their junior years. <laughs> until that uh, kind of philosophical shift is made, I think you're going to continue to see this little game of chicken get get played out. Yeah, I think so. I, I do think part of yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that that is certainly the why behind it. It's just like you said, the fear of kind of getting left out of the game of musical chairs. But, but almost part of me does wonder if, you know, as your Georgia's, Alabama's, and Ohio State specifically separate so much from the rest of the country in recruiting with, you know, an occasional A&M class here or there or something, that maybe, you know, a Lincoln or rather USC class every now and then. When they separate so much, part of me wonders if just, hey, look, if we just take our time and pick a guy later, we can flip, you know, Brent Venable's Oklahoma commit, right? We can flip the kid from Florida State. Like those guys aren't saying no to us very often if we have a good depth chart to offer. Like when we need a guy, we can get our guy. And we don't need a guy, we can take more time to evaluate because we don't, we're not looking for a starter next year, right? And I do wonder if some of that philosophy changes, but it, it seems like the answer is no. <laughs> it seems like little has changed, but I guess his numbers have slightly dropped lately. Um, I think of the recent recruiting classes. Obviously, Quinn Ewers and, and Kyle McCord at Ohio State were very recent. Um, but besides that, guys I think early equipment's from, I, I think uh, you'd have to look maybe like besides them, it's like Brock Vandegrift at, at, you know, when he committed to Oklahoma, they took him like two years earlier than he flipped to Georgia, right? Later on, uh, Alabama took Drake May, which was the right thing to do. They just couldn't keep him. Uh, same thing. It's, it's pretty much been only lately, only Ohio State has done this. Everyone else kind of seems to have moved off it. Which is interesting. I wonder if they keep going down that path or if they kind of adjust as well. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know, you know, and I think the portal makes things even more interesting because I, you could argue this both ways, but if you know, if you're Alabama or or Lincoln, if you're Lincoln Riley and you're Ryan Day, you've got this nice little run of quarterbacks you've been on. Um, do you work? I mean, do you just say it? Eh, We'll, we'll take the five-star early. We'll make the big splash. We'll get the headlines. We'll maybe get a couple of skill guys or linemen to come with him and uh, try and hold on to him and not worry too much about it because if something weird happens, we'll just go steal somebody else's quarterback out of the portal and plug and play for a year or two. And so I don't know that the portal really helps in terms of slowing yeah. things down. Maybe uh, maybe the answer is if you just put Parker Fleming in charge of portal recruiting. Uh, I think that would. Oh boy, I knew, I, I was wondering. You know, I was wondering what you were going to do. No, I won't do it to you. I won't. I won't do it to you. I had to get one in. I just had to get one in there. But uh, didn't expect no. it on quarterback recruiting, though. I thought I that's why. That's why I got you. Was, I'm finding new ways uh, to innovate every day. Yeah, that was that was not the betting favorite there. <laughs> I had to get one more market. I don't really want to talk Parker Fleming. They, everyone's heard me do that more than enough times. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, that's cool, man. Uh, I, I guess other other quarterback notes here besides besides Nolan. Um, I was interested in him, and then kind of your read on the just not from an Ohio State perspective, but the whole Jaden Davis kind of dragging his feet on Michigan. Is there anything to this idea that I mean, do you think it's still inevitable inevitability that he ends up there? Are you buying rumors that he's going to kind of look around a second lap and isn't very happy with Michigan as a prospect? Like, what is your read on that kind of situation? I just, I don't know where else he's going to go at this point, if not Michigan. Um, you know, the, the Clemson thing got weird. 
you know, the Ohio State thing has been weird. Uh, you know, Georgia's not going to happen. Um, that was that was an earlier school that was involved. So I I don't know. I I think it's it's very likely at this point that he does end up at Michigan. But like you said, he ha- it, it's and like I keep saying, well, for some reason he's not committing, and you know what that reason is. Who knows? You know, there's I've certainly heard the the NIL rumors, but I think that's kind of a given now with any top flight quarterback is you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to have some type of compelling NIL presentation or agreement or something in place uh, at this point, if you want to play the five-star quarterback game. So I don't know that that's unique to Jaden Davis, but um, it it's one of those things where if it's not Michigan, then who is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, there's a few of those kids where it, it's like, I don't know, like Elijah Brown, right? Like seems like he should be a USC slam dunk, but it's not had a ton of kind of actual traction there lately. It seems to be some rumors, of fact, of the opposite that Stanford and UCLA have trended. You have like Jaden Davis dragging his feet on Michigan. You have like, who knows what Georgia's going to do if they don't get Rayola, right? If they're going after the Merklinger kid or someone else, or I don't know. There's a lot of these guys that that seem like they should be obvious fits if they're looking for either their first or second quarterback in the class that haven't actually moved, and it's it's kind of interesting. Like, also, who the hell is Clemson going to get? Uh, look, like they 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 need a player in this class, and I don't they, know. Maybe I'm missing. Did, you've heard, yeah. They did a similar, you know, they did a similar move almost on on Jaden that Ohio State did, except they didn't get their guy. So that was. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of interesting, though. I don't know how that – I guess that could be repaired. I mean, if Ohio State and Jaden Davis could be repaired, certainly Clemson could, I guess. But um, it is – But also, if you're Davis, why, why would you bet on Clemson right now? Not, not, to, be, not to be too cynical on Dabo. Like, I, obviously, the program's not going to, you know, start going 6-6. Six and six, But it's not like the quarterback development looks very good right now or they have any answers on offense or anything's getting better there in any way. Yeah, I think I think DJ's lack of development has has hurt things a little bit. Now, you know, I, I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of Kate Klubnik, so we'll see how that pans out. I, you know, it could be a you know, Kate could go out there and look fantastic this year and, and next, and, and go be a first round pick, and then you're you're right back, you're right back as a hot quarterback school again if that happens. But um, yeah, I I don't. I don't think the the DJ situation has uh, been particularly beneficial for Clemson and, and the kind of the, the perception of them uh, as a quarterback destination versus what it yeah. was when they landed him and what they had done kind of up until that point. Yeah, and maybe it's again comes down where I think I might just be a bit of a harsher evaluator of uh, not me. I think I am just a harsher evaluator of programs than you are too. But but I think even like as we mentioned with Alabama and kind of the product degrading slightly. Like me and Patrick talked about this on our, on our program. If that D line starts slipping for Clemson, like if they don't continue to have an excellent elite D line every year, what else are they doing well? Right. Like quarterback is not really looking like it's anything special right now. K could fix that, obviously, but it was pretty bad for DJ. And DJ is, in my opinion, was still a very talented prospect who could have succeeded with, with the right development. Uh, their receiver production looks like nothing special. They're solid at running back, but the O-line's a consistent problem for years on end. The secondary, I think, keeps degrading slightly. The linebackers, they have Barrett Carter there for another year, but not like there's much speed going on right now in kind of their entire back seven. Like, if they, if Cade isn't the Messiah, what is that program doing well besides D-line? Like, what else is happening there? I just don't see much shaking out for them right now. No, I mean, I'm kind of with you on, on that. And I think, you know, you, what we kind of talked about earlier, like I'm not ready to hit the panic button on Alabama. Like I said, I, I'm at this point until until I get a little more evidence. I'm kind of in the you know every coach, you know, no matter how long you coach, how well you coach, what your record is year to year, you, you're going to have one one season is ultimately going to be your best coaching job, and one season is ultimately going to be your worst coaching job, kind of thing. So sure, it has some, to happen. Yeah. So for Saban, like that's fine. I do think there's more to that with Clemson. I, I do I, I do kind of share your opinion on Clemson at this point. I'm yeah. I'm not I'm not buying stock in Clemson right now. I and I, in fact I'm selling stock. If I own Clemson stock, I'm probably selling it right now. I'm holding Alabama stock. I'm not buying it, I'm not selling it, but 
I'm I'm selling Clemson stock right now because you're right. And and you know, a lot of these a lot of these guys were were very highly recruited. I mean, um I'm a little surprised they've struggled at the receiver position to to a point where, you know, knowing who they got, you know, out of high school and just covering these guys, a lot of these guys were um, you know, courted by the Georgias and Ohio States of the world and Alabamas of the world. And um, you know, it just hasn't really clicked at Clemson the last couple of years in some of these positions. But, you know, I, I mentioned it during the season a couple of times as well, just, you know, where would Clemson be without this um, front seven full of NFL guys? And, you know, now right. those guys are starting to move on. So, you know, if they're not reloading there, you're right. They're going to, that's going to be interesting. They're at a crossroads. There's no question. I mean, my theory in this is just that their, their offensive hiring, especially has been like nonsensical. Like, like he, you know, Dabo essentially just keeps promoting the copy of a copy, right? Like he's had all these interns and QCs just keep getting promoted. Uh, and not saying you can't do that in some parts. Like obviously that's been very successful for, for you know, like a, a Jim Leiter comes from that kind of background at Wisconsin. A Brian Hartline comes from that at Ohio State. You can get very good coaches that way. But doing it every time as like your default method is going to burn you over time because you're not hiring, you're not bringing in new outside ideas so every mistake you made just gets compounded further, in my opinion. I think the more you lean on that, the worse it gets. And I think Dabo just is essentially, you know, too scared to go outside of the family. I just, I don't think he's looking for any new ideas right now. And I don't think it's going to get better, you know, anytime soon on offense. Um, yeah. It, and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting situation to, to evaluate though, because it's not, I, I don't think, I don't think they've necessarily had this horrible like downgrade of, of of coaching because I don't their offense has never been particularly complicated. Oh right, they just had all time great quarterbacks and all time great exactly. receivers. So I, is, it, is it so? I I think it, I think kind of almost like a little chicken egg argument type of thing. But like I think what's happened is it's not so much the coaching decisions as much as it is not having Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence have kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit on I think that's true and I would also say even if you had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence today and you were making them run like baseline zone read you know <laughs> like just basic schoolyard offense with like the receivers they have now instead of the receivers they had then right they wouldn't the results wouldn't be as bad as they are but they still wouldn't be good right no I, I'm no they they you're right they they've definitely again I think the when you have to keep up that level of recruiting, it, it's just, it's almost impossible um, to, it, there, there's only, a, there's only a Trevor Lawrence. I mean, once every probably five or six years. So um, to, to kind of transition at quarterback the way they were able to. And then again, yes, you had you know, the T Higgins of the world, um, you know, gosh, going back even a little further, you know, Hopkins and, and Watkins and those guys. And um Hell, even even Hunter Renfro. I mean, say what you want. It's yeah. a very good receiver. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, um, so it's just, yeah. I think I don't. I don't know. Again, I, I don't think the, that anything's really changed in terms of the coach. You know, like, oh, they have way worse coaches now. I just, I think they've always kind of been pretty simple on offense, and that just worked when you had first round draft picks everywhere. And yeah, when you don't got to be a little more creative. Yeah, T. Higgins is not working, walking through that door anytime soon. Uh, although I am curious, whatever kid became a Frank Stellato? He's been there a couple of years now. Is he doing anything? I thought he was a... Troy Stellato, uh, sorry. Frank Stellato is an old actor. Troy uh, <laughs> <laughs> Stellato. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I'm i not sure either. And I, you know, I've watched them a bunch and he's... I just haven't... So I don't know if he's injured or if... um, Just not... Has not worked out there. I don't know. I... Yeah. I yeah, he, I think uh, he was a very good high school player. It looks like he was. ah he tore his ACL last year. That's why he didn't. Okay, play. that makes sense. I was gonna yeah. say, because they had some injury issues at receiver from the beginning of the season till through the middle of the season, and he still wasn't out. So that that makes total sense now because yeah, because they had some other guys that were kind of in and out of the lineup. So um, that Antonio Williams is a nice player though. I think he was a freshman this year. So we'll see. Uh, it'll be yeah. They have him and. and- Bill Collins comes back too. He's not a, he's not a bad player. Um, and he was kind of one of the guys I was referring to earlier. Where, and I know he, he did have some 
he had an injury cut things short, but he hasn't really progressed to the level I thought he might coming out of Bosco. Um, so it'll be interesting. But like I said, I, I, I've always liked Klubnik. So, you know, if, if that doesn't work, this, if that offense doesn't work this year, yeah, it's time to really start questioning some things. Yeah, yeah. And, and as always, the eternal problem there is that O-line, right? Uh, yeah. Although uh, although friend of the Sudrawa family, Blake Miller, had a pretty good freshman season, uh, there there are still some concerns there. They need Tristan Lee to figure out a spot of tackle, I think. He has, hasn't really been uh, been doing too much in his first year. I think they have Will Putnam back, who was playing. So he was a recruit so long ago that I covered him. I, I remember you know, writing about Will Putnam, and I haven't read a bit recruiting, and <laughs> I don't know. I haven't covered recruiting in, I think, five or six years. Uh, and, and Will Putnam's still around in college football. So uh, when they lose him, that'll be tough. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Um, yeah, man. No, so, so I, since we kind of land ourselves in the ACC anyway, I wanted to get in some conference expansion talk before I let you go. Uh, have you been following much the latest round of controversy around Florida State or kind of the, the general conference expansion news cycle this week with the Pac-12 money, you know, the Pac-12 media deal news and, and the ACC? Have you been kind of spending much time reading this or uh, following it at all? Bits and pieces. I mean, obviously, uh, spending a couple days on the road uh, for recruiting coverage, go down to Atlanta for the Under Armour camp, then straight to Indy for the Combine. I'm probably not as dialed in on every report that's out there at this point, but I, I've I've read I've read enough. Uh, just you know, Florida State, you know, with with uh, trying to get a ballpark figure on what it would take to get out. Very of funny figures too. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and. Uh, the Pac-12 about to become completely obsolete uh, from a from a viewership perspective. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that slide that was going around from Florida State's board of trustee meetings is very funny because they're just doing a thing that like guys do on message boards where like they're picking the worst possible numbers for their own league to make it look bad and the best possible for everyone else. It was it was just very funny to see like high level lawyers doing things that you know uh, <laughs> like you do on message boards to argue which quarterbacks better. Uh, it was it was very amusing. Like I think they put the ACC revenue as like seventeen million per year per team, which is like just flatly not true, right? <laughs> like it's I think it's like yeah. they're counting only the first tier rights or something like that for ACC games, whereas they count everything for everyone else. It was a whole crock, but um, very funny. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of starting to like you said the, the Pac-12 stuff's fascinating too. I, I feel like they're kind of a solved case, right? Like I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, they're just. They're a known quantity. Like they're dead in the water. They're going to sign some deal for sure. And then whenever that deal's over, the you know either the Big Ten is going to take a Washington, Oregon, or they won't, and they're going to let them live. And they're going to go to the Big Twelve. It's just a matter of like whether the Big Twelve shares the the the, the Pac twelve with the Big Ten, or the Big Ten you know doesn't want any parts of it, and, they, and the best teams all go to the Big Twelve. That's the only thing we have left to learn about the Pac twelve, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I I don't see how the Pac twelve survives this i can't believe i'm saying that i mean it's just you know it seems absurd and sensationalist but i don't i don't see how the pac-12 survives they in fact i think the the, the only reason they're surviving currently is because the big Ten's allowing them to survive the, the, the only reason washington and oregon aren't in the big 10 right now is because the big 10 has yet to be convinced by the numbers and the projections that Splitting the pie with those schools is good for everybody else. And the minute the Big Ten thinks that adding Oregon and Washington enhances the the share for every other program in the league, that's going to happen. So it's it's really wild to watch this. I, I mean, they are completely at the Big Twelve or at the the Pac twelve is completely at the Big Ten's mercy right now, and. Yeah, if you're the Big 12, you've got to be trying to swoop in for your own survival and trying to maybe say to, to an Oregon or a Washington, like, hey, we're, you know, stop, stop waiting for the Big 10. Just, just, just come, come with us, you know, you know, and, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how the Big 12 maneuvers, uh, because, yeah, I, there's really no way both of those conferences are at all, are relevant, let alone even maybe even around. Uh, in, in, in a few years. So one of them's got to make some pretty bold moves here uh, to survive. 
I am very curious. Like, I, I, I think a lot about conference expansion. I think, as you know, I, I think I text you about it every now and then. But, uh, like, some of the thoughts here on the Big 12 is just, like, how big are they willing to get, right? Because, like, it probably makes sense. I think it probably makes sense for them to take, like, Utah – Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado, they can get them. I think those four are worth it for that league based on what their current revenue is. And then they're going to look at like the ACC in 2036, whenever that league breaks apart, and the Big Ten and SEC take the best parts of it. And taking like, you know, NC State and Pitt and whoever else, you know, those leagues don't take is also still probably, you know, Virginia Tech probably is probably worth it for the Big 12. But like, are they willing to go to, you know, 28 teams or something? Like, what what is, like, the size the Big 12 is willing to go to? And when does it become – I don't know. Like, it, it's I think the future of of what these leagues look like when it becomes essentially – like, I think we can all agree the future we're headed towards is the SEC and the Big Ten are the AFC and NFC of college football, right? And they're just the two dominant leagues. But you are going to still have a tier of teams that does care about football, can put players in the NFL – excuse me, and is good enough at it that they're going to want to keep playing. And I think the Big 12 might just take all of them. That that would be, you know, a bold move. You know, that would be, that would be, that would fall into the category of a bold move that we, that one of these conferences that isn't the Big 10 or the SEC is going to have to make to survive. Um, because what move can the ACC make, right? What move, like, like no one else, I think that's the interesting part is like, the Big 12 is the only league that can make a move. Like, what can the ACC do to right. convince everyone yeah. else they're not fucked? <laughs> like, I don't think it yeah. exists. Yeah, the, AC, the ACC's in a bad spot. Um, here's the interesting thing to me about the Big 12 is that it is, you know, we think of the Big 12, we immediately think of, like, you know, Texas and the, the Plains, and it, it's in a it's based in the part of a co- the country that loves football. So it doesn't have the same problem like the Pac-12 has, which is that nobody cares about anything out there. So, um, yeah, but yeah. Yet, or, the, or the small school problem of the ACC, right? Right. But yet, how can that be your base of operations, but you don't have Texas, Oklahoma, or Texas A&M in your league? Like, it's just the weirdest dynamic to me. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I think it's just like I have this, you know, I, I, I we follow G5 football pretty closely. And we talked a lot about like the G5 expansion and realignment of like how the Sun Belt responded last time they got raided by Conference USA, which basically their answer was just. We're kind of a weird conference. We're an in-between spot. All we're going to do is take the best football programs we can get. Like, let's just find the schools that really love and care about football and want to win games and get those people. And I think the big 12 may just do the same, right? Like they're eventually going to, I'm sure take Boise state, right? They're going to take these other programs. They haven't gotten yet. that just give a shit at a high level about football. And I think their identity is just, Hey, if you're not watching the big 10 and SEC, we have every other good football team in division one besides that. And maybe that's what they're going for, right? When you have, you know, BYU and Cincy, and, you know, all these schools that have, you know, Kansas State cares a lot about football, right? All these, like, programs have a history of, even if they have institutional problems to compete nationally, they do give a shit about the sport. And I think they're just looking for themselves to be like, if you care about football, come join the Big 12. And let's and let's be the third league. And we're not those top two. We can't be, but we can still win some games. And right? we can still make some money. And there's such an appetite for football that I think it might work. I don't know. I'm curious to see. Yeah. And I, I would totally, like I said, I would totally go after Oregon and Washington right now and just basically tell them, stop chasing the girl who doesn't love you back. <laughs> stop right. stop with sitting around waiting for the Big Ten to call you and accept you and come come be like, you know, two of the flagship programs in our I, I that That's the move I think I would try to make. But yeah. And, he, uh, and, and hell, even if they do go, like, not the, if you're the Big 12, you want to say this, but like, even if you flip leagues, you can still leave for the Big Ten in six years. <laughs> like when the next Big Ten deal comes up, they can still buy you out pretty easily if they want you. It's right. It's it's just so obvious that the Big Ten has its sights elsewhere, and that they're not in South you know, Bay. Something's yeah. going to have to change from a dollar perspective. So, 
some of their one of their broadcast partners, you know, Fox or whoever is going to have to tell them like, oh, this actually does make sense financially, or they're going to have to strike out on, you know, I know they've got their eyes on you know some of those ACC teams, and you know, of course the Notre. I eventually, I just, I, I can't fathom the Notre Dame's not eventually in the Big Ten. I, I don't know when, I don't know how, I, but I just, it just feels like that almost has to happen at some point in our lifetime. But uh, either they join or they deprioritize football, right? Like it's, 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 that's yeah. the only two options because if you care about football and you want to win, you have to make like the gap is getting too large. You have to make it up. Yeah. yeah they're going to, Notre Dame, Notre Dame's kind of a, a fragile situation. Um, if, if they wait too long to kind of determine their future on this type of stuff, um, it could be too late. Um, yeah, that, that's that's going to be interesting. Um, you know, and in all the conference drama is, is the program like Notre Dame, who I can never ever say I hear the SEC stuff. I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. There's just, it's not real. It, it'll never happen. There's no way that would ever that would ever happen. Um, so it's not just a million years. Okay, yeah. is is USC enough? Do, does the Big Ten need to take Stanford too? And then, for God's sake, you've got Stanford, USC, Michigan State, Michigan. Purdue, all of these historic rivals of yours in one place, plus you play Ohio State and Penn State every now and then. It just uh, it seems like that has to happen at some point. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, well, Mark, uh, I think that's kind of all I had for you today, man. Any plugs you want to make in an episode here? Anything you uh, – I mean, obviously people know you're Buckeye Huddle, but any, anything you want to plug on your end or anything we should share? Where to find you? Yeah, find us on, on BuckeyeHuddle.com. We uh, we also do a, you know, I, I'd like to plug uh, Tom Orr. He does a great job with our morning show. You can always catch that. It's uh, just YouTube.com slash BuckeyeHuddle. We have a, a new, uh, like a 15-minute daily morning show uh, covering Ohio State and, just, you know, hot topics of the day or whatever. And um, so those are the two places you can you can find me and, and, and uh, the great staff we have. For sure, for sure. Give them a shot. They're great. I uh, love it. Best Buckeye coverage uh, on the uh, on the beat. We enjoy a lot of re- you know reading them ourselves. Uh, as always, subscribe to meet at midfield.com and go buy some t-shirts at uh, homefieldapparel.com. Uh, use the code meet at midfield for 50% off. They just had an Ohio State drop, but I think you might be able to get the last pickings of a lot of it sold out, but there's some great new Ohio State gear on there. Uh, check them out. Use the code. And uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Patrick will talk to you really uh, rather. I think he has a guest coming on and we will. Uh, I'll see you guys in a couple weeks.